trying something different today. It's Labor Weekend. It's a celebration of not working so hard. So I thought I'd sit down and <laughs> take it a bit easy and just do something a bit different. Hey, uh, if you were around last week uh, at church, you would have seen a little promo video that we filmed for our next uh, preaching series that we're starting next week called One Plus One. It's a six-week series on uh, relationships. Normally, when we've done relationship series, we've aimed them primarily at the marrieds um, in, in our church and kind of also made application to singles. For the next six weeks, we're going to switch it around. And I, we're going to be doing the series One Plus One on relationships, and it's going to be aimed primarily at the singles whether that's teenagers or young adults or whether that's those who are older and either have never married or are divorced or have widowed or whatever. But I want to talk primarily to those who are single but also make application to those of you who are married along the way. So just try and even that out a little bit. But I think it's going to be a fun and, and really helpful series for these next six weeks. So hope you can make it along. Um, We've produced some little business cards uh, for the series that we um, advertised last week, and there's a stack of them sitting out on the info desk out there in the foyer. And so if you've got some friends that you think this would be helpful, if you've got teenage kids that you want to drag along, um, if you've got um, other people in your life that you think this would be helpful for, then feel free to grab as many of those little cards out there as you'd like to uh, and invite people along. It's going to be a fun series. I'm, I'm enjoying the prep for it uh, immensely. Um, what we want to do today is I want to kind of stop and do a wrap-up to the year up to this point. Our big uh, theme and focus this year um, has been what we've called love right where you are. And uh, what we've really wanted to go after as a leadership this year is what we've called our evangelistic temperature. As followers of Jesus, how passionate are we about sharing the good news about Jesus with the work colleagues and family members and neighbours and friends in our lives who don't know Jesus yet. And the idea of the evangelistic temperature has come from Kevin Harney, a pastor in the States that we have a great friendship with. And he's written a few books around the idea of called Organic Outreach. And it's his idea. Evangelistic temperature is simply saying, if you were to rate a temperature from 1 to 10, you know, where are you at evangelistically in terms of your passion for sharing the good news? Are you like a 10 raving evangelist, you know, attacking people on the train at the work or something? Or are you a one completely stone cold and don't give a rip? Most of us wouldn't be either one or 10. Um, most of us in New Zealand, as Kiwis, we rate ourselves pretty low. So we're kind of hovering on a three normally or something like that. But the idea of this year as a leadership was that we want to talk about this idea of, of, of what it means to love right where we are, in the families we've been put in, in the workplaces where God's placed us, in the relationships and friendships that we have, what does it look like for us to love the unchurched people around us and in our lives? And in the process, our hope is that individually and together as a church, our evangelistic temperature would just lift a notch. And so that's been our focus for this year, and I wanted to kind of come as we draw to the end of that, as Steve wrapped up um, the First Peter series last year, I now want to just stop today and look back over the year, because we've done three particular teaching series to try and help go after this idea of loving right where we are and raising the evangelistic temperature. The first one at the beginning of the year was our series in Jonah. 
and looking at the story of this wayward prophet who God commands to go preach to the, the people of Nineveh, who were the Nazis of the ancient world. And, uh, and Jonah, of course, ran the other way. And there's some tremendous lessons that we learn out of the, the Jonah series about what it means to love where God has called us and placed us. And then we went, did a, a second Love Right Where You Are series um, of five weeks around the idea of praying that God would open our eyes and our hearts and our schedules and our ears and our mouths. And that Open Our Eyes, My Open My Eyes series was very much about recognizing I am Jonah and then coming and asking God to really change us, change our hearts and change our eyes and change our ears and so on. And then, of course, for the last few months, we've been in First Peter, this ancient letter written by the Apostle Peter to God's people to talk to them about really loving right where God has placed them, wherever that was in the Roman Empire originally and now today in our community. So what I've done in the last couple of weeks is I've gone back through these three series. And uh, I've just kind of trolled through some of the, the PowerPoints and I've, I've, I've re-listened to snippets of some of the messages from some of the other preach, preaching team. And I just wanted to kind of pause here before we jump into this one plus one series next week and just go, what are the key lessons we've learned? What are some of the key questions we really should be wrestling with in our minds? And what I've done is I've gone through and looked back on everything this year. I've, I've just, I've, I've come up with six questions that I've been asking myself and I want to um, ask you and invite you to ask yourself as well, um, kind of as we try and draw all of this uh, to an end. So, Six questions. First one is this. Do I care deeply about lost people? Do I care deeply about lost people? This is, this is a heart question. Do I actually care? Because for me, this was the fundamental lesson out of the Jonah series. Um, Jonah was this remarkable story that many people will know, even if they're not churched, of the dude who, who runs away from God and is the storm and gets chucked overboard and swallowed by the fish and and then ends up in Nineveh. Um, but what we learned as we went through Jonah, and especially when we got to chapter 4, was that the, the key message of the book of Jonah is not actually about a fish or any of that stuff at all. It's actually about the condition of Jonah's heart. Because at the end of, 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 uh, of the book, uh, end of chapter 3, sorry, of the book, um, it says um, the people of Nineveh repented, the whole city repented. Hundreds of thousands of people chose to trust in the God of Jonah and, and repent of their sins and listen to this message. And it says when God saw what they did and how they turned to him from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And then you immediately get into chapter 4, which says, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong. Jonah was ticked off that God was forgiving. And then Jonah has a rant at God. And he says, he prays, isn't this what I said, Yahweh, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. And this was the big surprise because we're never told in chapter one, when Jonah makes a run for it, why he ran. And so everyone reading the story, we assume that he runs because he's scared, because that would be most of us. We'd be scared and we'd run for that reason. And then you get to chapter 4 and you find, actually, that wasn't the reason he ran at all. He didn't run because he was scared of the Ninevites. He wasn't worried about a few Nazis and what they might do to him. He was scared that if he went to Nineveh and actually preached to them, that they might actually, some of them at least, repent, and then he knew 
He just knew that God would be forgiving. And the worst thing in the world for Jonah was that God would forgive those stinking Ninevites. And that's why he ran. That's what he said. And then to top that, he then quotes to God God's most famous self-description of his own character from Exodus 34. He says, I knew, God, that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He's quoted God's own description of who he's, what he's like in Exodus. It becomes the, the core fundamental description of the character of Yahweh in the Old Testament. And Jonah quotes it back at God. He said, I knew you'd be gracious. I knew you'd be forgiving. I knew you'd be kind. That's why I ran. And he says, now, Lord, just take away my life. It would be better for me to die than live. And God asks him this key question that comes up twice in, this, in Jonah chapter 4. Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah, like a pouting toddler, doesn't say anything back. He just pouts. And so in the story, if you remember Jonah 4, God provides a beautiful plant that gives him shade. And then the same God provides a little worm that eats the plant. So the shade is gone. And then the same God provides an east wind that makes things really, really hot and uncomfortable for Jonah until Jonah is once again angry. And then he says to God, same thing again, I'd be better for me to die than to live. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? Same question. But this time, it's, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And this time, the pouting toddler responds, yes, it is, and I'm so angry that I wish I was dead. And in the final part of the book is God saying to Jonah essentially this, Jonah, you are so mad about how comfortable you were under your plant that you don't give a rip about all of these people made in my image down in that city who are lost. And in that Jonah series, what we did at the end of these, each of those messages, if you remember, is we used the phrase that they still use in the Jewish synagogues today at the end of the reading of this book on the day of Yom Kippur, which is, I am Jonah. And some of the, the reflections from that was, I'm Jonah when I love things more than people. I am Jonah when I'm more concerned about my own comfort than I am about the people in my life that don't know God. And I'm Jonah, when my theology's correct, he could quote Exodus beautifully, but it hasn't transformed my life. And I'm Jonah when I accept God's grace, but I don't extend it to others. And the whole idea of that Jonah series was for all of us to put our hands up to some degree and say, I am Jonah, but to, to be challenged by this question. Because this is what Jonah, the book of Jonah is about. Do I care deeply? about lost people? Do I actually care? Because God does. And so the challenge is to you and I. On Vision Sunday, when we introduced this whole theme back in February, I, I, I read this quote uh, from a book that I'd been reading by a guy called Scott McConnell. And he said, in a survey of 2,500 adults in America who attended a Protestant church regularly, only 46% agree strongly that they have a personal responsibility to share their religious beliefs about Jesus with non-Christians. 
See, in the book of Jonah is saying, no, we, we are, all of us are called. We have to care about the lost people around us. We have to be part of the percentage that says, it's my job. God's put me here on earth to be part of sharing this message with people at my work who don't know Jesus and members of my family who don't know Jesus and uh, people that I go to the gym with who don't know Jesus and who, who stand on the, on the side of the soccer field or in the gymnasium watching kids just like me who don't know Jesus. We need to care about those who don't know Jesus. So that's my first big question. Um, as I come to the end of this love right where you are kind of theme for this year, do I care deeply about lost people? Second question is this. Do I see people clearly as being lost? Not only do I care, which is a heart question, do I see people clearly as being lost? And that's an eyes question. And this comes for me from um, that second series we did the, 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 where we open, you know, a prayer one, open my, my eyes, God, open my heart, open my schedule, open my ears, open my mouth. The first one of those prayers was, was one of the messages that I did, open my eyes. And it was based on um, the passage from Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And Matthew 9 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that's when he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And I remember uh, as I was sharing this, it really struck me how differently Jesus views people from the way I view people. Because we live in a community um, that's pretty upper middle class. People seem to be pretty comfortable, doing okay. Lots of the people, lost people that, that we rub shoulders with, lots of our friends who don't know Jesus, they seem to be doing okay. Life seems to be fine. Relationships seem to be all right. Um, they don't seem to have too many issues or problems, and it looks from the outward perspective, it's hard to see how they need Jesus and how to make that connection to them. And yet I love the way that Matthew introduces what Jesus said here. When Jesus saw the crowd, number one, he had compassion on them, which again is this beautiful attribute of God that comes out of Exodus. He's this compassionate and gracious God. But the reason Jesus looked on these crowds with compassion is because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And I think there's this, this idea in here really struck me that I actually need to start seeing lost people in my life and in our community much more like Jesus sees them. I look at the outward appearance, to quote 1 Samuel, whereas God is looking at the heart and sees the outwardly successful people in our lives as desperately needy, as sheep without a shepherd. The, the big idea from that particular message was that we need God to give us glasses so that we would see people as he sees lost people. Remember that sermon I was talking about, the, how much I need my glasses and how little I can see without them. And almost the sense that we need spiritual glasses from God. We need God to, to give us a, a much better supernatural view into the souls of the people around us, the lost people in our lives, to really see just how needy they are and how much 
they need him. I loved this, um, this prayer that I quoted in that, on that particular message, uh, again from Kevin Harney. This was the prayer he wrote, God of the harvest, send us out. Open our eyes to see that the fields are white for harvest. Remind us each day that the work is yours, but you invite us to be part of what you're doing in this world. So that's my second question. Do I care deeply about lost people? And then secondly, a reflection question, do I see people clearly as being lost? Third question, then following on from those two, um, is am I praying unceasingly for lost friends? I like Kevin Harney's comment in that quote that I just did, recognizing that the work is God's. God changes hearts. We don't. The work is God's, but he invites us to jump in and be part of this. But if that, that means if the work is God's, then what we should be doing this, we should be praying unceasingly for our lost friends. Um, at one point in this series, this Love Right We Are series, we produced these little prayer cards. I think some of them are still out on the, on the info desk as well. Um, these little prayer cards that just had three slots for, of, of you write um, the names of lost friends in. And the invitation was to just be praying, to be praying for them, be praying that God would change their hearts, be praying for opportunities that God would open that up. And that's exactly what we should be doing. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 4, um, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, being alert. Pray for us too, Paul says, that God would open a door for our message so that we would proclaim the mystery of Christ's fortune and chains. Pray that I would proclaim it clearly as I should. We should be devoting ourselves to prayer. And it was actually in the Jonah series, when we looked at Jonah chapter 3 and the way that the whole city of Nineveh came to faith and talking about the way that God moves, I, I gave this incredibly sobering quote from J.D. Greer uh, in the States, which was simply this question, if God answered right now in one fell swoop every prayer you prayed last week, would anyone you be in the kingdom? That's actually been haunting me ever since I shared that way back in March. And I want to bring it back. And I want to bring this back into our consciousness. Uh, because as I shared last year, my prayer life ebbs and flows a, a lot. And it's something that I'm feeling um, a, a great deal at the moment. The sense of, am I praying uh, as consistently as I should be, as unceasingly as I should be, for the lost people in our lives? Uh, that don't yet know Jesus, and we desperately love them too. Am I praying unceasingly for lost friends? Fourth question then, is am I living the gospel consistently? Am I living the gospel consistently? Because the reality is that it's very hard to share with our lost friends the difference that Jesus makes if Jesus isn't making a big difference in our lives. And it's very hard to talk to our friends about the wonder of grace and the forgiveness of sins if we're not really living into that grace or we're still wallowing in those sins. And that, for me, this one, is perhaps one of the big um, takeaways that I've taken from First Peter. Um, I've really hammered, I think, maybe too much, I don't know, but I've really hammered the key passage of First Peter as we've gone through this ancient letter. Peter writing at the beginning of the second stanza of this um, beautiful letter that he wrote, 
Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as those on the margins of society because you're followers of Jesus, I urge you to negatively abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul and then positively live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And, and really what First Peter was all about was Peter fleshing out this principle, that on one side we are to live holy lives and abstain from the sinful desires that are at, at war with us. And Peter was at pains at different times through his letter to, to call us to live lives of holiness. Be holy because God is holy. Put aside impurities. Uh, he made a pitch, uh, a big comment at the beginning of chapter 4 about, you know, the pagans uh, have sexual orgies and drunken parties and all these kinds of things. Not us. As followers of Jesus, we're not to be getting plastered. We're not to be high on drugs. We're not to be breaking the law. We're not to be indulging in sexual immorality. That is out. We are to abstain from sinful desires. But it's not that the Christian life is simply about all the stuff we shouldn't do. Peter turned around and spent more time in his letter on the second idea, that we are to live such good lives, such beautiful lives, Lives that testify and show and display the, the glory and the beauty and the, the, the graciousness of God. And he talked about what that looks like in the workplace. And he talked about what that looks like in marriages. And he talks about what that looked like in relationships. This idea of, of submission and love and care for others. And the whole idea that Peter was going after was this idea that our lives are actually meant to powerfully point people in our world who don't know Jesus yet, to the difference that Jesus makes. And we just spent some beautiful time in worship singing these amazing songs about God. We sing hallelujah. And what Peter's saying is that that's completely right because he has done all that we have said. But that means our lives are to sing hallelujah too, not just our mouths. And our lives are to testify to the difference that he has made for us. Are we living consistently? I love this comment from an old commentator by the name of J.B. Phillips, talking about the power of the way the early Christians, those that Peter wrote to, lived out their faith. This is a very old quote. J.B. Phillips lived a fair time ago. But he wrote, The Christian faith took root and flourished in an atmosphere almost entirely pagan, which is really important because we look at the society we're in now and think, good night, it's going to the dogs. But the Roman Empire that Peter was living in and writing to people in was so much worse than where we are at. They had such a, a more difficult culture to live in than we do, as bad as we think ours is. Philip says, where cruelty and sexual immorality were taken for granted where slavery and the inferiority of women were almost universal, where superstition and rival religions with all kinds of bogus claims existed on every hand. And then he goes on and says, with this pagan chaos, the early Christians, by the power of God within them, lived lives as sons and daughters of God, demonstrating purity and honesty, patience and genuine love. They were the pioneers of the new humanity. 
It's no wonder that the Christian faith in the first 300 years of, of the church took off. It's no wonder that the Roman Empire was transformed because the early Christians lived exactly what Peter called them to do. They abstained from sinful desires and they lived beautiful and attractive lives that pointed people to the good news. And I've, again, felt really challenged as we've gone through First Peter. To what degree am I uh, fighting against sin in my own life? But also to what degree does my life actually point to the beauty and the power of the grace of God that's been given to me? Am I living the gospel consistently? A couple more. Number five. Can I share, not sell, the story of Jesus? Can I share, not sell, the story of Jesus? I think many of us have a flawed idea about what evangelism is meant to look like. And for that reason, most of us are too scared to do it. But at the end of the day, it's not enough to care, and it's not enough to pray, and it's not enough to live good lives. At the end of the day, we have to open our mouths, and we have to tell people about what Jesus offers them. We have to tell them about this wonderful gift of life and hope and forgiveness that God offers every person on planet Earth. We have to share the message. But I think the problem for many of us is we have a flawed idea about evangelism. Evangelism for many of us, when, when you just hear that word, I think for many of us we think of a sales pitch where we have got to, as quickly as we can, walk a reluctant customer through that the sales pitch and the difference that our product, Jesus, could make to their lives. And then, before they've given up and walked away, we need to close the deal and get them to sign the, the, on the dotted line. And it feels, that's how, honestly, isn't it? That's our view of evangelism. We've got to get our pitch across to a reluctant customer and get them to, to, across to, to embrace the product and sign on the dotted line. And actually, evangelism is not selling Jesus. It's actually about sharing what God offers them. And that means I don't think we have to feel like we've got to drop the entire bundle of the message on people in one sitting. I think it, it doesn't mean that we should be concentrating solely on getting across what we want to say and the words that we want to share. And I don't think it means that we have to call for a response but for someone to, to fall on their knees at the water cooler right there at work and embrace Jesus. I don't think we need to feel like we've got to close the deal every time. I think what it's about is about sharing. I love this verse. Steve really did a neat job of unpacking this part of First Peter 3. In your heart set apart or revere Christ as Lord, Christ as Yahweh. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. That blows away for me the sales pitch idea. Because what Peter is assuming in this verse is conversation. 
Not slapping someone, you know, with this is my message and you need to be quiet and let, let me dump the whole thing on you. This is a conversation where obviously you're talking with people and they're asking you and you're responding and there's gentleness and respect in this. It's much more a sharing kind of thing. In his uh, message at the end of the Open My uh, Eyes series, Mark did a message on Open My Mouth. And he uh, quoted uh, a pastor in the States called John Burke. And John Burke said, I find our generation incredibly open to spiritual truth and dialogue. But they've grown up in a world of competing beliefs. People just check out when they feel that Christians are arrogant and unwilling to consider the truth claims of others as well. John Burke is not saying that all truth is equally valid. He, is, he would argue passionately for the truth of the message about Jesus. But he's saying when we try and sell that instead of engage in a conversation that's two-way, we come across as arrogant in this world we're in now. He says they are very open to hearing expressions of truth and stories illustrating why God's words are true. In fact, he says they long to experience something firm and solid that feels true. They don't resist truth, he says. They resist arrogance. But there is a humble way to express truth. And that humble way is just conversation, isn't it? It's just talking with people and asking them questions and listening to what their viewpoint is and then explaining why you hold to following Jesus and the difference that makes and why you believe that's true. And it's engaging in a conversation with someone rather than feeling like you've got to sell them on what you believe. And I think this fits really with what Paul went on to say in Colossians 4 after calling us to devote ourselves to prayer. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So when there is a conversation at work or a conversation with family members or flatmates or whatever that is, and there is an opening, then just walk, uh, quietly walk into that and share a little bit about your faith. But don't feel like you've got to drop the whole bundle on someone. Don't feel like you've got to pull out PowerPoint slides and, and give the whole shebang. Just engage in conversation. Make the most of every opportunity, but let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt so you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, Steve, the week before Mark preached, Steve did the one on Open My Ears, and he quoted the, this guy, uh, Greg Kokel, I guess his name is. Um, All I want to do is put a stone in someone's shoe. I want to give him something worth thinking about, something he can't ignore because it pokes him in a good way. And I wonder if, if, if we would be much more confident in sharing our faith rather than selling our faith if we took the pressure off and went, I don't have to convince someone and I don't have to dump the whole bundle on someone. I just need to tell them a little bit about the difference that Jesus makes in my life and why he could make a difference in theirs. All I have to do is put a stone in someone's shoe. And hopefully over time, that conversation will continue. And hopefully over time, there might be multiple opportunities to talk. And at some point in that conversation, there will come a time where you do want to actually have the opportunity to briefly explain the full meaning of what this message of good news is. And it may be that it is appropriate then 
to actually invite someone to make a decision to follow Jesus. But we don't have to do that every time we open our mouths. We're not selling a product. We are sharing the greatest story in the world. The final question then follows that. Um, Because those two messages that Steve and Mark did at the end of that Open My Eyes series, I found incredibly helpful for me uh, personally. Um, Because both of them talked about this concept. And this is the last question I've got. But do I ask loving questions about friends' lives? Um, Steve did a really neat job in his message about open my ears. And he talked about the power of questions and, and, and how important it is that we don't just speak and seek to share our message, that we also listen well. to to people's struggles and to where they're coming from in their lives and what their questions are. And and so that as we talk with them, it's this two-way conversation. See, when we we are so concentrating on, I've got to share the message of Jesus that we're not listening to them, that's when it feels like a sales pitch. But when we just engage in conversation with friends and we've been praying for an opening from God and an opening comes and we can just quietly share the difference that faith in Jesus has made in us. And it becomes part of, Lord willing, a conversation over time. Uh, key, loving questions become a key part to that. Um, Steve quoted Todd Hunter, who used to run Alpha in, um, in the States. Todd Hunter made this really incredible claim um, that I remember when I, when I was listening to Steve um, preaching, I was watching it on the internet because I was in Nepal when he did this message. And actually, when I was watching it in the office and catching up and listening to Steve, I actually stopped and went back in the sermon video to get this bit again. Because he quoted Todd Hunter, I'm willing to bet the farm that in our postmodern Christian society, the most important evangelistic skill is listening. See, when, we, when I say the word evangelism, almost all of us think talking. And Todd Hunter's going, no, no, when we hear the word evangelism, we should be thinking listening, then talking. And that's quite a radical change, but it's actually very biblical. Um, Solomon said in Proverbs 18, to answer before listening, that's folly and shame. To start trying to sell the product before we've listened to someone's story and worked out what's going on in their lives and just showed that we care about who they are is to miss the boat. Another quote, another guy that Steve um, Young quoted was uh, Doug Pollock. When we demonstrate that we're truly seeking to understand people, not simply uh, change their point of view, we create a safe environment that allows them to open up at a deeper level. And then Pollock made this statement, which I think is great. Perhaps the greatest value of spirit-led listening is that it communicates true humility and sends this powerful message, I accept and respect you. If we could just get away from selling the message, just engage in conversation, just sharing that we were at church this weekend, talking about the community project, telling people that the difference it makes in our lives when we're struggling with issues in our lives, to just to be able to pray and know that we're praying to a God who cares for us. 
to talk about the difference that knowing we're forgiven by Jesus despite everything we've stuffed up, to be able to drop that into conversations and engage with people and listen and ask them good questions. It's just a very different way to think about evangelism. But those are my six questions. Do I care deeply about lost people? Do I see people clearly as lost? Am I praying unceasingly for them? Am I living the gospel consistently? And then can I share rather than sell the story of Jesus and ask loving questions about friends' lives? It's actually been really nice, like looking back over a year or close to a year's worth of, of messages on this topic. And it's been kind of fun for me to just pull these questions together. It hasn't been fun reflecting on these questions in my own life. That bit's been more, much more challenging. But I think it's helpful to do that. And so as we finish up this theme for the year, of love right where you are, before we head into this relationship series, I just want to ask you to reflect for a minute on these questions. Is there one or two of those questions for you that the Holy Spirit is just nudging you on? In terms of your heart or your questions or your, your, your prayer life, whether you see people as lost, how you're living out the, the gospel. I just wonder if there's one or two there that you just feel the nudge of the Spirit on. Conversely, the one or two there that you feel excited about. One of the cool things this year for me has been multiple stories that I've heard from people as a number of you have come to talk to me about the conversations you've had. And I've been encouraged because I've felt like the evangelistic temperature has been going up. And we've shared some of them up front, but not heaps of them. But to hear Andre talking about talking with his Muslim colleague at work, to hear in our elders' meetings, some of our, one of our elder couples talking about a friend who's dying of cancer. And all of us as a leadership praying for an opportunity for them to share more about Jesus. Uh, to listen to, to one woman in our, our, our church who, who sits at a reception desk with someone else at work and who ended up having a, almost an hour-long conversation at lunch one day as her colleague is asking, can you explain what Christianity is? And I'm encouraged by that. And so I don't want these questions to only be a, where are you falling short and what is the Holy Spirit challenging you about? I also want these to be, what do you feel encouraged by? How do you feel like you have grown this year? And how would you like to continue to grow? So what I want to do is I actually just want to give you a minute to just look at those questions and then just to pray. Come to God, either asking him to help with some of these or thanking him that you feel like you've grown in some of this. Maybe there's friends on your heart right now that don't know him. I want to just give you a moment just to stop and pray for them. 
pray that maybe this week God would give you an opportunity to share. Let's just take a minute to do that. really conscious this morning too that these questions are really aimed at those of us who are followers of Jesus but we often have people sitting here uh, at our botany service or sitting in Hastings uh, watching this on TV we were with you guys last week it's awesome to be with you but we have some people in Hastings watching people online listening or watching and I don't want to assume that you've made a decision to follow Jesus but I do want to say it's just the best decision you can make. And that God and his wonderful grace doesn't leave us uh, to just face the consequences of our rebellion against him and our sin and our turning away from him that we so constantly do. He said he stepped into the muck of life and he sent Jesus. God became a human being to live the life we couldn't live and to die on the cross to pay for our sins and rebellion, fully absorbing God's wrath for all of our sin, and then rising again as we sung this morning to triumph over death, to offer us not only forgiveness and hope and, and meaning in this life, but to offer us life forever and ever and ever. And God offers that to each of us freely as a gift. That's what grace means. It means we can't earn it. It means we can't uh, sort our lives out to the point where, where God is then obligated to give this gift to us, that we can never, ever repay what he offers us. He simply offers to wipe the slate clean, to throw our sins away, to pour his spirit into our lives, to transform us from the inside out, to adopt us as his sons and daughters, and to offer us a relationship with him as our father forever and ever. And, ever. and if you have never embraced that offer and accepted that gift, you can do it in the quietness of your heart right now by simply acknowledging your sin and your brokenness, the ways you've stuffed up, and to say that I accept the offer of Jesus. I invite Jesus to come into my life to forgive my sin and to change me. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that just right now in this moment. So, as we finish, love right where you are, I want to pray for us as a church family. And I want to pray that even though we leave this series now and we jump into one plus one and then it's going to be Christmas after that, sorry, and then into a new year, 
I don't want us to leave the power of these questions and the power of this series. My prayer is that our evangelistic temperatures as individuals and our evangelistic temperature as a church community will continue to go up and up and up. So as we finish, I want to ask you to stand with me. The band's going to come and lead us in a couple of closing songs. Um, but I want to pray for us as a church. I want to pray that, that God would continue to work in us, that we would become more passionate about the good news of Jesus, that we would become more prayerful as we interact with lost people in our lives, and we would become more bold about sharing, not selling, the good news of Jesus. Father, we want to come to you today and say thank you for the challenge of this year. Most of us are dead scared about sharing our faith. Lord, we hate the idea of being rejected. We don't want to offend people that we've built friendships with. And so most of us are quiet, far too quiet. God, my prayer for all of us today as struggling evangelists is that you would just continue to slowly raise the temperature of our hearts. God, would you help us to care for lost people around us? Would you help us to see people who look outwardly successful and happy, help, them, help us to see them as truly lost, as sheep without a shepherd? God, would you help us to fervently pray for our lost friends more than we ever have before? Would you help us to live out the gospel consistently in our lives, to, to do battle with sin, to abstain from evil, but to live lives that are beautiful and attractive and display your gospel. Would you help us, Lord, to be bold enough to engage in conversations with family members and colleagues, and people at the gym, and parents of our kids' friends, and every time we rub shoulders, God, do you help us to ask loving questions? Do you help us to care and engage with people? Do you help us to find and see the opportunities you open up? Do you help us to just quietly share what our faith means to us without feeling like we've got to dump the product on someone? God, would you give us increasingly as a church, we pray the joy of seeing more and more people come to faith. For your glory we pray. Amen.